0: Hi there, welcome to the Feckless Rogue Podcast. Coming up on this
1: episode, radio presenter Martin Gilfoyle. I knew deep down I wanted to be a DJ and I actually took a gig, two gigs during the week my finals. And I brought my notes to the gig what? and I was mixing while trying to my
2: read God. the notes. <laughs> Irish singer Gavin James. but That was hilarious. My dad, she ran down and carried the amp and all the bands in there were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and then the, the promoter was like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And stylist Courtney Smith.
3: So what I had to do was open up the shirt and then just put so many pearls. It covered her boobs, basically.
0: Episode one of the Feckless Rogue podcast. Ha, We made it. (laughs) It's good to talk to you. I missed it. I missed having the chats with people. And that's why I've set up this podcast so I can get back to having chats with people. This is the first episode and the theme is the grind. And what that means is it's, uh, it's nothing to do with coffee. I'm sorry if you clicked this link thinking it was maybe, I don't know, advice on how to dance in a nightclub grinding up against people. Not that either. What it is, is the journey that you go through when you're trying to get to something. And that something can be a job, it can be a house, it could be having lots of money, whatever it is. But that sort of frictional journey, the grind, you know, it chews people up sometimes. A lot of people don't make it through maybe true no fault of their own or they ran out of ambition but the grind is there sometimes to weed the people out that didn't really want it in the first place so I'm very interested in talking to people that went through it and got what they wanted whether that be uh, saving up for a house or maybe in my case working really crap jobs being on the dole and doing one show a week and then eventually getting through all that and having a Monday to Friday gig on radio. So first up is Martin Guilfoyle. He's a radio presenter and also a DJ, but you, he never mentions it.
1: Actually, are you Martin Guilfoyle or Marty G? Or <laughs> Yeah, I get asked this all the time. You can actually call me Martin because you knew me before I turned into a <laughs> solo artist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you'd sound like a dickhead straight away. No. <laughs> I'm just being honest. No, the idea of uh, people calling me Marty now was to coincide with the old Spotify profile. So you can call me Martin because I've known you for years, Luke. <laughs>
0: All right. We've got a DJ on the podcast. Anybody?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <Hey>. <laughs> I'm curious to know do you know the answer to this? Because I kind of remember, but I'd love to know if you do. Okay. Do you remember the first time we met?
1: The first time me and you met Well Saw each other Oh god I want to say We crossed paths At some stage When you were doing Yeah Little filler bits I don't know If that's true or not Because if it isn't Then it would have been When you came in to me And beat Do you know <laughs> which it is? I do yeah <laughs> Oh shit What is it? I remember
0: Because I don't mind telling you this Because you know I love you But I Yeah really didn't
1: like you oh what why didn't you like me oh my god this is gas i love it tell me why you didn't like me this is a brilliant start to the podcast no it is great it is i love this why didn't you like me
0: i just i saw you and you had this spiky hair and you were really
1: happy and everybody liked you hold on a second hold on so we we didn't actually even interact you solely judged me by how i looked and how i acted (laughs) yeah 100 (laughs) percent (laughs) ah we're all guilty of doing that at some stage yeah okay i thought i said something to you or i was like rude or something no okay because after that
0: then we got talking online and we were convinced we were going to be the biggest thing in radio oh the best geo
1: ever yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) was
0: your first gig in liffey
1: sound yeah, it was in Liffey Sound FM and Lucan. They're a great bunch. I have them to thank for so much. A guy called Fran Walsh. He, uh, I just picked up the phone when I was studying for my leaving cert one day and uh, literally said, hey, I want to be on the radio. Just straight in. And he was kind of like, you can't just ring up a radio station and say you want to be on it. But he kind of turned around to me and he was like, well, where are you? And I said, well, I'm at home in Knockline," And he was like, well, would you be able to get out to Lucan this evening? And I drove to Lucan, and he brought me in. He showed me the studio, and he brought me on as a guest for three minutes. And then, within two weeks, I had my own show called Fun Radio at Marty G. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way Marty G was still a thing back then. It was a thing, yeah. I I, I wanted at, at the time it t- at the time it felt like a really cool nickname to have. And I look back and I think, oh my god, I was so wrong. Like that's so cheesy. Well, DJs fall into that trap anyway because they don't want to call themselves their names, so they think of something really silly. That's actually so true. There's so many DJs out there who have fake names that if you told people their real name, you'd actually be blown away. I don't want to give away any secrets now. We can't do that, Luke. Like-
0: <laughs> can I do one? I'd love to do one. Go on, can we do one? Okay, well, I think we could do one. I think we could do one. I okay, have one I'll mind. tell you what. We'll do it at the same time, okay? Okay. We'll be muffled, and whoever it is that we say, it'll be different, and you won't be able to hear it.
1: Okay, so are you going to go... Uh, so on three, we say their they're, they're fake name? Yes. So three, two, one, their fake name. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Dusty Rose. Eimer. <laughs> what did you say? No, I can't say it now. Ah, okay, all right. It yeah, yeah. defeats the purpose. All right. <laughs> Speaking of silly
0: names, if I say the name DJ Coco Loco. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, oh, this is actually a very funny story. It turns out that he was gay. Well, who was he, first of all? I was. Uh, I went, I went to Lanzarote on a holiday with my friends and I chose not to come home because I had this moment at like four in the morning in a nightclub uh, where I looked up at the DJ, who is said DJ Coco Loco, mm-hmm. and uh, he was having so much fun, and I I thought that I was destined to do that. Now I I was hammered, like, but <laughs> I still went I still went up to him and I was like, hey, you look like you're having a lot of fun. I remember the song he was playing and everything. He was playing a remix of uh, Lady Gaga's Poker Face, a guy called Millhouse. It's actually a really bad remix. When you listen back to it now. He looked at me and he said, well, if if you're here, like, we I'll, I'll happily look after you. Uh, it's when I think about it now and. <laughs> oh yeah but he never never materialized like that it's just funny because the people who I lived with on the island they always um they always make the joke that the only reason that I got into the career that I'm in is because (laughs) he actually burnt me a CD those were the days like and uh when I got a job then in a small nightclub over there, uh, I was allowed to use a decks before I started my bar shift gig. And every second day, we had to get up at 1pm after finishing at 6 in the morning to, go, to do a ticket run where you'd go around all the pools, and the apartment complexes, and hand out tickets to the nightclub, try to get people in later on that day. Did you have to do the thing where if the police came, everybody had to sit down? No, God, no. Why? Is that a thing? In Greece, that's a thing. Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry. Oh, we did have to do that. I thought you meant in the actual club. Uh, no. No, you're right. Yeah. Wait, did you do that over in Greece as well? Yeah, I think I lasted a month and a half
0: because I was working in the bar, right? And a friend of mine reached behind the bar to like grab a bottle, and the next day the barman, the manager, like, yeah, he goes, "You're fired." I said, "Why?" And he goes, "You let the man grab bottle," <laughs> and I was like, "No, I didn't." <laughs> and I don't know why he's Russian, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he barred me and I got blacklisted from the entire island.
1: What? You got banned from Greece? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Oh, I love it. I've never heard that story before. Wow, never. I love it.
0: I think a lot of people that will listen to this specific episode will see your name and they might be interested in music and they might see the title The Grind and wonder, oh, what yeah. this about?
1: <laughs> and it started off with, uh, with DJ Coco Loco.
0: <laughs> but, I mean, I think a lot of people these days think they can be a DJ because you get the equipment quite cheaply. I think there's a lot of people wondering how the hell did somebody like Martin,
1: who travels the world, DJs constantly, how did he get to that place? I didn't really suffer from caring what people thought, and I, I you'll be able to relate to this. <laughs> when you want to do something that involves an audience, whether it's DJing or, or broadcasting, You really need to not care what people think because you're going to put stuff out there that's so embarrassing and so cringy.
0: Oh, you mean like that time you were on Take Me
1: Out? Okay, ladies, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself. To make a living, I work part-time as a basketball coach. I work part-time as a model as well. And with that, I also work part-time as a presenter for one of Dublin's biggest radio stations. So I like to think I live an exciting life. So if you want a good night, then I think you should leave on your light. Uh, but it's the only way. And you just hope that, like, eventually you get a bit of momentum. That theme has actually popped up a few times now of putting stuff out there until it
0: sticks. Because if you're doing something different, that something that you want to do, something that you're really passionate about, a lot of people who aren't on the same vibe, they might be stuck doing something maybe that they aren't into or something they studied in college and they see mm-hmm. you doing something different there's a little bit of resentment a little bit of like a ah come on calm down you're reminding I- me
1: that I'm doing something that I don't like yes oh you've absolutely nailed it and I dealt with that during college because I was studying business French and Spanish in college and I was missing a lot of morning lectures because I'd be in nightclubs the night before working and there was just certain people in my year, Luke who oh look at this guy coming in late who does he think he is and all that you know that kind of way and there was there was that little bit of resentment because they were obviously in at their nine o'clock lecture and stuff now obviously i'm not encouraging anybody to miss lectures here <laughs> but i knew deep down i wanted to be a dj and i actually took a gig two gigs during the week of my finals and i brought my notes to the gig what? and i was mixing while trying to my read God. the notes for the exam the next <laughs> that is the most yeah. martin guilfoyle story i've ever heard yeah. <laughs> I ended up getting a 2 2, which to me was actually overachieving for what I wanted in college. When you get to college and you're that little bit older, you kind of fit, start figuring out what you want to do. I know it can take a little bit longer for some people in other cases, but I wanted to kind of show that I had a bit of commitment and be able to kind of sit through college and get the piece of paper. Because I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what college shows, isn't it? Is that whatever you get your qualification in, it shows that you can apply yourself to something and do it. Thanks for that. So, I never graduated. Oh, sorry. <laughs> But you're applying yourself to this podcast series, Luke Good save,
0: good save See, the problem with you is And the good thing about you is Is that you have absolutely nailed your look and sound You went from DJing and on on Liffey sound Straight to spin And you just nailed it You just nailed being
1: on spin (laughs) Like you're the most spin person I've ever met (laughs) uh, Yeah, the joke is you caught me at Bleed Pink like, it's my 10th year here, which is absolutely insane. Uh, I love the music. I love how young it make, keeps me, even though I am getting older. How old are you, actually? <laughs> I am now 30. I deliberately have that offline. This is something I've never admitted to anyone before. I just think there's a stigma around age when it comes to DJs. I really do. I just didn't want to fall into that. The problem is is that I've admitted it to you and it'll end up in a tweet now tomorrow. (laughs) It's also on this podcast, Martin. I don't know if you noticed, but we're recording. Oh Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I need to hope now that major labels aren't listening. I look back at it. I had such a good decade. I really, really did. But when I look back on actual like social gatherings, I know that's a bit of a topical subject <laughs> at the moment. What were they? But, uh, I remember them. Yeah. What were they exactly? Yeah, when we were allowed to hang out and see our friends, I uh, I had some obviously, but I didn't have like anywhere near as many as the average. 24, 23, 22 year old would have had. I missed out on so many nights out in college because of gigs and that. It's not like a sympathy thing that I'm looking for here. I just like, I just said yes to absolutely everything, no matter how last minute it was. But you would be the same though. You were, you would have
0: been the same. The whole being alone or not having as many friends thing. I remember when I was contributing to Today FM on the KC show and it was my first gig like ever and it was national. I think there was 100,000 plus people listening anyway at the time. Mm -hmm. And I would come off air, in my head I would come off air, but I was only a contributor. But in my head, I just broadcast to thousands of people yeah, of course. Yeah. and I would go and I'd treat myself one day a week to a McDonald's because I thought that I was rewarding my brain for doing well. <laughs> <laughs> and I would sit in Dublin somewhere and I'd just be really quiet and I think to myself, I just talked to thousands of people, but now I'm yeah. completely alone. It's it's like it's an anti-climax isn't it? Very weird, yeah. We have to give an honorable mention to I know we talked a little
1: bit about Spain but you know you did go to the lovely county of Waterford. I did uh, and to be honest I have I've have them to thank for so much. So I discovered so I'd applied for a job in Spain and didn't get it. They told me I wasn't right for it. And it turns out that Tray-Zan got it. Uh, but then I thought to myself, "Hang on a minute. If she's coming to do this show, she has to be leaving her show." Uh, <laughs> in Beat. So I took the demo that I sent him for the spin before her job was even advertised. And I sent it to Beat and I was like, hi, Gabrielle Cummins got back to me asking me what I'd be up for going in to meet them. So I'd gone down to meet with them and they told me to get back to me on Monday. This was on a Friday. And they actually got back to me uh, on the Friday telling me I got the job. So I went from like, I think it was like a Wednesday being kind of let down going, oh, I'm not good enough for this to 48 hours later, having a full-time job in Waterford. And it was just insane I was just like oh my god I'm moving to Waterford (laughs) but then spin were like what do you mean you're moving to Waterford and I was like well I'm after getting a job down there on radio I want to do that full time you hardly did seven days did you I was doing seven shows a week yeah I was I ended up getting a Sunday show then on on beat and they gave me Emma Nolan and she was my co-host and we did a show together called The Sunday Spin I loved that that was great that was like hanging out with my best friend never going to forget that one
0: she talked about that actually on another episode how you were one of the the people that really push her to be confident on air and not to be overthinking about
1: what the other person is thinking about. Look at her now. Yeah. Like, she was fantastic. She came in. But I was like, oh my God, I wonder can I get this girl in to do something on The Takeover? Like, which is the show that I was doing. I went into Gabrielle and I was like, hey, look, Emma sounds great. Can she come in and do some, like, entertainment bits or something? And... They were so happy with me doing what they call the buzz by myself. And I was like, I think Emma would really suit it. They're like, well, ask Emma if she wants to do it. But I already knew deep down Emma wanted Ah. to do it. But I was going in pretending that I hadn't spoke to her, you know. (laughs) And, uh, of course, then she ended up on the buzz. And then we ended up on the Sunday spin. And I think Emma then just got the broadcasting book as opposed to being on news. And, yeah, she's killing it. See, that's the thing. If anybody's
0: listening and is in any way in a sort of a position of influence, even... Something like you going in and talking to management about how Emma would be suitable for the buzz. That led to her very slowly getting the show and the Sunday show, and the takeover, going to iRadio
1: and then went to 104. See, the small little thing that you did yeah. helped somebody along. But I think that's the way it works in, in media. Like even with yourself, like you said, you went in, you contributed on a show and you left. Like that's like it's tiny when you think about it to what you went on to do. It, Everyone starts off with that really small gig. What happens, I find is a lot of people then get really excited about that gig that that one small gig every week, and then when nothing else happens over a certain period of time, they start to get deflated and then they start questioning whether or not they should keep going uh, and that breaks my heart.
0: That literally is the definition of the grind for me. you know the amount of time it takes for you to get to somewhere that you're happy uh-huh. and it thins out the herd, so to speak. you know the
1: only people that are left are the people that really, really wanted it, yeah. I think it's safe to say that the grind never really stops, does it? Like, like at what point can we, and you you could probably answer this as well, like, what point do we turn around and go, well, I'm really happy right now? Like, (laughs) does that point point ever come? That's a trick question. (laughs) Because I'm never going to be happy. It
2: never (laughs) stops.
1: That's the whole joke of the theme. (laughs) It's tough, though. It's like, when am I going to go, no, I'm taking Saturday off. I'm fine. Well... (laughs) This kind of quarantine thing has kind of made me realize that I think I'm already an isolator as it is. Because I work evenings and nights, I'm, I'm, I'm by myself during the day anyway. So I'm still just getting up and doing what I do and then going to work and then going home. Like, <laughs> like, does that mean I'm just not seeing enough people, Luke? Like, <laughs> The more you're saying it, though, the more I think you're realizing that it's true. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, it did hit me. I was like, are we just like isolators by nature and by accident, like that we uh, we just don't communicate with people? which I do, obviously, because it's my job. But going back to what you said earlier on the podcast where you were saying you just spoke to like 100,000 people and you went up and, and you sat by yourself. <laughs> Stop laughing at me. <laughs> Stop laughing at the image. <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah
0: for I, sure. I'm hesitant to call us all entertainers, but I think the type of people that are on your radio, on your telly, they're hard to get chats out of sometimes. Like Because comedians are, are famous for you know being on stage and then they're off. Because Tommy Tiernan has this whole bit about how he's not like this all the time. You know, he doesn't go home into his kid's room and go, good morning! Hello! <laughs> <laughs> but he was lovely to interview. But on the flip side then, I won't name names because he's a big name, but there was a guy who couldn't sell tickets to his gig, right? And he really needed to. So management rang us and wanted to have him on the breakfast show because he's struggling to sell tickets. So, you know, would we like yeah, to have yeah, him on? I said, yeah, of course. Yeah, brilliant. Great name. Love it. Okay, gonna have chats with him. He couldn't have been more of a bore. Oh, my God. It was like pulling
1: teeth. Come here, man. We're trying to sell your kid. Come on. Why are we here? <laughs> Give me something, man. I know the, the theme of this podcast was the grind,
0: you know, and I think the grind is important for people like us because I think if you stop grinding, you sort of kind of fade away.
1: Yeah, I I think that that involves, in, like, in all aspects of life, though, I think it's not just your career. I think that uh, I've kind of learned that with even relationships and friendships and stuff uh, that it exists there too. Like it really does. And that if you want to grind away at your career, like you kind of do have to continue to grind away with your friends. I know that sounds really kinky, but like, um, <laughs> I was waiting for you to end on a really nice moment, you know? <laughs> but it is though. Like it, it, it it's, it's the exact same thing. It's like, you can't just grind away your career forever. And then like turn 40 and be like, I made it. And then like look around an empty house and go, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Really? <laughs> So yeah, no, uh, yeah, continuing the grind. I'm not going to stop for now. I have an idea of where I'll be happy, but I had that idea five years ago and that didn't work out. So we'll see how this one goes. Well, Martin Guilfoyle, thank you so much. Thank you,
0: Luke, for having me. On the way, Courtney Smith was completely underprepared for her first time on live TV.
3: I had absolutely no contacts with any of the fashion stores in Dublin. I hadn't worked in Ireland yet. I had no contacts with any of the model agencies. I'd never done live TV and I was 21 years old. But first, Gavin James.
2: You grew up in Cabra. Yeah, well, I was Cabra, Ashington, around the corner from Cabra. Okay, it's a little... And was it always? Because that doesn't seem like
0: a place that would nurture. No offense to people from there, but like nurture its sort of musical environment. Or am I, I wrong? I
2: that was right No, it was great. Um, yeah? I mean, when I did it, I played gigs and Vim bars all the time. We did gigs and plunkets oh, in Ash- wow. in Ashton, um when we were allowed. When we weren't too loud, and the How guy didn't kick us out. Um, I was about thirteen. Thirteen. Oh wow! So first you first year of school, kind of first year in, really early. in Decos. Yeah, that was when I started playing music. And second year is when I started like putting on gigs. And we did gigs in Daily Mount. Uh, all the time, the like pub. in the pub and Man yeah. pub, and it was it was class. We used to just book it and we just like, at at fifteen, sixteen years of age, just have loads of bands over and played.
0: Was it your idea to do a gig?
2: A gig, I always wanted to do a gig because that was the biggest thing ever. Now, if you, if you're in a band, you're like fourteen, you're like, oh my god, we have a gig. Mm. My first ever gig was in the legal, the legal, e- legal eagle, the legal eagle, the legal eagle, the one that's next to the. Four courts. Oh yes. Which is now like a class little yes. little, bar. little bar. Before it was that. It was like that's the first gig we ever did. And I remember my mum and dad came and my uncle and his wife came, and um, that's mad. But yeah, we were on. We were meant to be on in the middle because we had brought all the gear, the drums and the amps and everything, and like everything, all the gear. Because my mate just had it and the drummer had it, and then um, we kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed, and then we got we were on last eventually, and it was just my mate, it was just my ma, my dad, my uncle and his wife in the crowd. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, it was one of them. It was the only time we ever did one of them gigs where you have to sell the tickets, to the worst ones. They give you like 40 tickets to sell.
0: Oh, and then that pays for you to play there. Like, there's a
2: lot of bollocks. That's terrible. fucking terrible. Never did it again. We did did it once and then we didn't sell any tickets because we were like, fuck that. And then your man was like, oh, you, then he you owe us money for the tickets. So oh we were like, my God. I was like, you can go fuck off. This is like, like a trap. This is me. And then he put us on last, just in spite, I think. And did did people use your instruments? No, no, use Oliver Amps okay. and everything, yeah, and the drums. Yeah, oh, use the what, drums, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Like Cheeky bollocks. And, <laughs> <laughs> and how how far away was the gap between doing that and uh balcony TV? That was around the same. I remember there's another one actually fucking in the mez. I remember down the other Mez. Yeah. Downstairs in the mez. And there was a guy that used to run the gigs downstairs and uh, I was only fifteen. All right. So I I obviously couldn't play in the mez, because I was far too young I Underage. super illegal. Um <laughs> me saying this. Um but this is way back in the day. Um but my Dad, I had brought my amp downstairs, and all the bands were, the same thing, like, using all the amps, you used to always share all the gear. Right. So all the other lads were, like, all, all very, like, in their 20s and thirties, and all that, doing, like, stuff. We were just doing, like, Kings of Leon covers and, like, maybe trying one of our own, like, Wolf Mother. We drove Wolf Mother in all the yes. time. Class. And then um, your mum was like, you can't play. can't play. Too young. And my dad was like, what do you mean you can't play? <laughs> it's like. I love the way your dad that's was scared. there for you. My dad was hilarious. My dad, as she ran down and carried the amp, and all the bands in there were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's <laughs> like, "This is my, this is my son." <laughs> and then the, the promoter was like, "Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on." Okay, he can, he can, play. <laughs> he can play. He can play. He has to go on it this time.
0: <laughs> I love the way your dad is so protective. Badass, like that explains quite a lot about why yeah. he's so. But he
2: always he brought me to all the gigs, all the ones, all the random battle of the bands and everything. That's so cool. Yeah.
0: So, do you bring him now to like? What's your repayment?
2: Oh, brought him. Well, the first time we went, I I love bringing him to as many places as possible. Him and my mum So they came over to Los Angeles for the first time. Like three years ago. It's when we when I first signed the Capitol Records and they came over and they, they weren't really they didn't know what what was happening really. It was just like you'd signed to a record label in States. Sounds great. And they flew over and then did this gig and then in in the Capitol Records building, and then did a gig on top of the roof. Oh wow! Where the Beastie Boys video and all was. Yeah. And my man, and I were like, "What the fuck? <laughs> this is fucking crazy." It's a fire hazard. Like they're losing their minds. They were like, "What? This is absolutely insane." And then like, they were like, even like it was Harry Styles was there? Yes. They fucking picked that That's- name up. Sorry. Um, dropping names. Yeah, it's on the ground. There, Gavin. <laughs> what a prick. Uh, <laughs> 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 Meaning myself. What yes. a prick. Yeah. No, but it was lovely. He was like so, such a nice fella. But he said to my man. My ma said to him, like a real Irish mammy thing to say, he was like, ah, sure, you sure your mam, your mam and dad must be very really proud of you, very proud of you. And Harry was like, ah, you must be very proud like, well, he, like, he obviously didn't say it like that. He was like, you must be. You must be. Nick Jagger. <laughs> yeah, he's very cool. Hello, like, yes. he's the coolest man ever. Very cool. Very cool. But yeah, he said, ah, like, oh, you must be very proud of him. And my ma was like, yeah, you're very nice. But he's, he's a very nice man. And was there at any point
0: during that journey between you doing those gigs in in the middle of nowhere and getting your amp taken by your dad because no, if if my son can't play, no one can play. <laughs> yeah, literally. Does. To literally being on the top of the Capitol building in Los Angeles. Like, is there any point between those two points that you were like, I'm not sure if this is going to
1: work or
0: happen?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I did the, the Temple Bar gigs for years, I was there for four years so when I was like, I think I was just about turning 18 and I was in there until I was 20. I was like 17, 18, 19, 21. 20, I just missed my 20s. I was too pissed. Um, so yeah, <laughs> now I was four years in the Temple Bar, Temple Bar pubs and it was like seven nights a week. It was like maybe 15 gigs a week at one point. Wow. So, which was great fun because like instead of, um, I did, didn't really go to college like three months in college and then I just didn't really what was the want course to learn in anymore. In um, it was Bonnie Ballyferma, which oh, is a really good yeah. course. It was rock school. I just wasn't really into, it. I just wanted to do my own thing. So you dropped out of rock school? Dropped out of actual rock school, like where the... It's so, it was so handy. It was great crack. I just used to cycle into That's town. That's hilarious. That's not like you were in, like, accounts. No. It was, you were I in was the actual, actual in, place. I did actual rock school, like. <laughs> but I was like, this is three years. Like, oh, no. I, I didn't want to do three years in college. Right. So I, I decided to do Temple Bar for tr- for four years instead. That was kind of like my college. Well, they, they call that the grind. Totally the grind. I mean, I did that. And while I was doing that, I did, like, Zodiac sessions and, and the Ruby sessions. And I went up and down to, like, Cork to do a couple of sessions and do, like, Just busked and everything I did everything I could do To kind of With my original music As well as Doing the three hour Pub gigs In between And they were like They were the best way of learning really To use your voice And learn how to sing and everything
0: But like And it also I think Because it's the same thing in radio You uh, Have that Period of time where you literally have
2: you are broke. Yeah,
0: that like was rent allowance and the the X and O's and the the the, the dole and everything was horrible. But mm. yeah, the, you find that people are in that situation with you. They eventually leave if it's too much for them, and they go they yeah. on a different route. But if you stay on it, so saying it's worth it works. It.
2: it totally works. I mean, I I I'm, I gathered up so many different just people that I knew from doing the gigs in Temple Bar. I mean, we I did some mad shit in Temple Bar. Like if we did, you'd have these people coming up at the end, at the end of the night, like locked, being like, do you want to come to Vegas? Like, just come play my wedding. And like, <laughs> I'd be like, seven, be like, yeah, of course, but you're not going to remember this in the morning. And then yeah. one person actually did remember, and he booked us on the flight the next day. No way. And it was me and my mate Craig went to Vegas when we were 17 for eight days. I stayed in Hooters. <laughs> in Hooters. Oh, was paid for? Of ever, We couldn't do anything because we were 18. Like, you can't. Oh, no way. You're the 21. Couldn't even look at somebody gambling. <laughs> you're literally, you're in Vegas, just walking around and say, do you want to go to <laughs> and we didn't have money to go do anything. We spent our last bit of money on chicken wings on the seventh day, and they were too hot. We couldn't fucking eat them. <laughs> like so, we left them outside the room. Like we were trying to peel the skin off the chicken wings. <laughs> That's
0: irony. Literally,
2: <laughs> we had like I think we had twenty dollars between us, and we just called down for service. No, we stay in. We we'll order room service, and we ordered like these nine one one. Hooters, hot wings, and it couldn't and eat them. Just you had to take them out of the room at one point, it was hard to breathe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, look at you now, huh? That's no, great, From
2: busking four years in Temple Bar
0: to shooting the music for glow in, yeah. in Temple Bar. Uh, back. Thank you so much for chatting to me. Hey butter. I'm uh, you know, continued success. Thanks for having us. You are a living legend.
2: You are a living legend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Our final guest is stylist Courtney Smith. I always kind of measure things by how old my daughter is. So she's nine now, which means that we met over 10 years ago.
3: Yep. We met when I had just started doing Ireland AM, which was then TV3. I don't actually know what your official job was, but you used to always greet me at the door when I... I uh, had zero makeup on, carrying suitcases and bags of clothes. Um, but you were always very lovely and kind to me.
0: It actually went through two different names. Halfway through my job there as a guest greeter, which was what it was originally called. Hmm. They changed it to early morning producer.
3: <laughs> oh, that sounds much fancier. <laughs>
0: it looks way better on the CV but I remember you coming in carrying like a gaggle of Georgia Salpas and and, then all these models with you that would come in in the exact same state bleary eyed and be like "What? coffee, coffee Luke coffee please, please coffee (laughs) but how how did you get that gig?
3: That gig this is I I actually do kind of attribute um how my entire career kicked off really to Ireland am because i was living in london and i ran out of money and i moved back to dublin with these aspirations of becoming an, an editorial stylist so a stylist for magazines and for celebrities and that kind of thing and i actually sent an email into tv3 looking to style their TV presenters. like So be behind the scenes and styling the presenters that went on the show. I didn't realize that they didn't have one and that that didn't exist and that they all just kind of styled themselves. So basically, I'd sent them an email, let's say in September, and it wasn't until I think the next January that I got an email back and it was basically yeah we don't have those, <laughs> but we are looking for somebody to come onto the show and like talk about fashion. Have you watched the show do you know do you know the format? and I had never really considered being in front of the camera i my whole kind of career prospects were to be behind the camera as a creative, so I was like um i mean yeah i'm I'm up for it, so I kind of sent through a few ideas um And the producer really liked them. And I had, like, I'd done up these mood boards and I was to have, I had a phone meeting first. I suppose they wanted to know if I could speak. And then they asked Mm -hmm. me to come in and do a face-to-face meeting. Um, And I was literally in my car on the way and I got a phone call to say, look, we're really sorry. This is about, like, midday or one o'clock in the afternoon. And they were like, we're really sorry. We have to cancel. Something's come up. But... Any chance that you can be here tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. with two models and six outfits? And I literally just went, Yeah, no problem, not a problem at all. And then I hung up the phone and I was like, Oh, fuck, because, oh, can I curse on this?
0: Yes, you can. And I encourage it.
3: Oh, phew. I just, <laughs> good. But yeah, so I was like, Fuck, uh, because. I had absolutely no contacts with any of the fashion stores in Dublin. I hadn't worked in Ireland yet properly, like as a stylist. I had no contacts with any of the model agencies. Uh, I'd never done live TV and I was 21 years old. I thought you did
0: great. Like, we have a clip.
3: It's inescapable this season. You can't walk into a shop and not see the black and white trend everywhere. And you're, you're covering all aspects of it here because you can be quite safe with this trend, but you can also be quite daring. Yeah, I think that's what's great about it. I think it kind of caters to everybody's wants, needs and desires when it comes to fashion. Yeah, that's basically how it all kind of came together. I didn't screw up on my first day on live TV, being given less than 24 hours notice. And then they just kept asking me back, basically.
0: That's a great way to start something because being completely underprepared is kind of how life is anyway. So you don't always have a chance to prepare everything. And sometimes you're better when you've no time.
3: Oh, absolutely. And like one of the funny things was, I phoned up a model agency who I didn't know at all. And I just explained, I was very innocent and I just explained the situation. And I was like, oh, I don't no. know how this works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, I don't know how this works. Um, but I've no money. Uh, but I need two models. And they were actually very kind. And they just said, look, we'll give you two models. But if you continue working on the show, we would expect you to book our models first, which I thought was a very fair way to do it and one of the looks that i was meant to do was like a chanel inspired very sophisticated with pearls kind of vibe and one of the models had just had her boobs done like a couple of weeks prior Um, (laughs) yeah um. which isn't a very chanel look anyway uh but what happened was the shirt wouldn't close on her so what i had to do was um open up the shirt and then just put so many pearls that you it covered her boobs basically so so I actually have no footage of this I wish I did because I'm sure it was horrific but um I think from that I also learned some valuable lessons like bring extra outfits
0: (laughs) I have to say I remember um cold emailing different companies looking for work back then because I was on the dole and I was I was like totally broke and I was just emailing people saying hey I have a like I had a dodgy camera and two lenses and I considered myself like a videographer and there was one company that said yeah cool we're doing a, a shoot here all the girls Courtney Smith's gonna be there and I was like Courtney Smith's gonna be brilliant yes okay I'll do- yeah who are you good oh yeah cake.
3: I do remember that it was um it was like a press event for an online fashion company.
0: Yeah, it was. I was just pretending, Courtney. Like when I met you, I was shit scared that I was going to be found out. That like I had everything, all oh, my settings on auto. I didn't know about. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And you were so nice, and you were like, you you wanted to do like a walking, talking shot, and I was like, um, yeah, sure, Courtney.
3: <laughs> Oh, my God. I actually still have the footage from that. And I don't know what I was doing with. I just remember I was wearing these big, clunky orange boots and I thought I looked amazing. I always thought you knew what you were doing.
0: Absolutely not. I mean, you even took me out for coffee then. and That was like one of the first times anybody had ever taken me out for coffee. You paid and everything. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I love this woman.
3: (laughs) I'm pretty sure I was on the dole at the same time, so. (laughs)
0: Well, I always because there was a lot of stylists that would come through Ireland AM and Exposé around that time. And, you know, there was there was some of them were models themselves. Some of them were used to be models. But you you were always sort of this hard to describe. You're like a uh, like a breath of fresh air. Did you try after you initially got that gig to be in any way different or did you try and copy somebody?
3: Oh, I didn't ever try to be something I wasn't, but I always wanted to make sure that I was sharing something interesting and different. And I think that's probably why I stopped doing TV as well because I felt like for me that it had run its course I did Ireland AM for a number of years and then I kind of switched over and I did expose and I was probably I mean the main stylist on expose for about five years like to the point where a lot of the cameramen used to call me the sixth presenter because I was on every single night
0: yeah no but I think you were running out of ideas as well you were talking about celebrity shoes at one point
3: so go tell us about the first pair of shoes you selected today Gone kind of celebrity inspired today so how to kind of achieve your favorite celebrity's shoe style? I kind of felt like I was regurgitating the same stuff over and over for me I was like there's only so many times that I can say and you put a black leather jacket on top of that and a pair of tights and you can wear that dress during winter and (laughs) I kind of (laughs) Uh, but again I don't mean it in any disrespect but it it, that it became a format and even if I introduced something that I felt was really um fashion forward or forward thinking in terms of what we were putting on screen it was only a matter of time before another stylist would start doing it as well but I just kind of felt like it got to the point where I was like I don't feel like there's any newness and also if there was any newness I felt like maybe the audience wasn't ready for that because they were kind of used to what Exposé did and, and they liked the uniform of that.
0: And was there a specific time when, because the topic of this episode is the grind. So th- that's your grind, essentially. That's you working your ass off for nearly 10 years on TV. Was there a point when you said, okay, I actually, I'm I'm really good at my job financially I seem to be okay maybe I can take a breath or was it always like oh god I hope that gig comes true
3: I kind of think the nature of the beast is that you you're always chasing the next gig I think when you're self-employed you never really rest on your laurels is that the phrase (laughs) Um, it it is now (laughs) it is now I hope it's a phrase um sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of a lot of the work that I've done and I'm very happy with where I am in my career, but I'm by no means finished or where I'm want to finish.
0: I read somewhere, I don't know where it was, but it said that one of your goals was to live in New York. Now you've just after buying and designing one of the nicest houses I've ever seen (laughs) and it's not in New York. So
3: I know it's, do you know, it's, it's, it's it never too late. I mean, I could be a 60-year-old woman living in New York. No, it was always one of my... It was one of my goals, and it was for a long time. But I do feel like it's still It's still there. It's ne- You know what I mean? Like, when I'm 60, I might move there. Yeah, um, you're
0: having an, an idea for yourself, I can tell. I
3: am, I know. I, I definitely had that interview before I bought the house.
0: <laughs> what about... The quarantine that's currently happening, because, like you said, you're flying all over the world. I mean, a quick glance at your Instagram or or just a, a search, and you can see you, you know, holding up this massive uh, sheet to reflect sunlight into a, a model in Greece or, or America or Iceland or whatever it is. So, what's it like being a, a, a stylist when there's a, a pandemic?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting. Obviously, all of my jobs have been not even put on hold cancelled because as a stylist your your job is seasonal so I'll get hired for spring campaigns and I'll get hired for summer campaigns so all of my spring campaigns have been cancelled because what's the point they, well first of all they can't shoot right now but even if they were even if the this kind of isolation was lifted next week which it won't be but let's say it was lifted next week I I still wouldn't be hired to shoot a spring campaign because they won't have time to promote it. They, would, they wouldn't they would get their money's worth. And I think a lot of the brands are scared to hire anyone for summer because like, we're just so unsure of what's going to happen. So basically, all of my spring campaigns were cancelled, which is, it is quite scary when you're self-employed. Like, You kind of feel this late in the game when I've been doing it for so many years that you kind of have your clients solidified and then you get a few extras every season. So uh, as soon as all those gigs were cancelled, it, it it is kind of um, a strange time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy time. But I, I can see before the quarantine and everything. Quarantine, God, it's a... Before the quarantine. end of the world as we knew it. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Uh, But you had like kids with you. Well, not kids, but like teenagers who had a real interest in fashion and, you know, they would spend a bit of time with you, a bit of work placement helping you out. Those kids and teenagers and stuff now, I mean, let's just say they have the same drive as you did back then and they really want to do the same thing that you did or, or at least something similar. What are they like? Are they just all trying to make it on Instagram now or is there any other way of doing it?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting one because, well, I suppose it depends on on what kind of career you want. Realistically, Instagram is not going to help you. It's a good promotional tool, but it's not going to help you land job so really all the same advice i always give is to do test shoots to meet up with other creatives to to like collaborate with other photographers and try and just be creative and send your work into editors and to brands but then the problem is right now is that it's it's, it's also a quite scary time for magazines and for the print industry um because they're all getting less and less like our our print magazines used to do 12 issues a year. A lot of them have gone down to six and eight issues a year. So there's a lot less work out there for editorials and there's a lot more stylists mm-hmm. than there used to be. So everybody's really fighting for the same same jobs so if you are in any way inclined like i'm you know me i am not tech savvy whatsoever tiktok is like <laughs> i have tried and i failed massively but if you can do something creative with a fashion brand and do something for their tiktok like i mean sorry 3 or 4 years ago like there wasn't even social media managers for any fashion brands it's not a job that existed And now it is. And there's a lot of people who are taking those roles because they're just because they're good at social media. But then they might have a really good big interest in fashion. So you can kind of merge those. So I think if you can be creative and think outside the box in terms of what you want career wise, because it doesn't have to be so one dimensional. Like if you want to be a stylist, there might just you might just have to think of different ways to do it going forward because there definitely will be less shoots.
0: You've been a great friend to me from the start. Yeah. I, I, th- throughout the years, even um, when I was on air, I'd get the odd text saying, love this tune or that other radio station is crap and now I'm listening to you. Don't fuck it up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I did. I actually did that a lot. You were my friend on my way to the gym because you were the only people on air that early.
0: <laughs> thank you for being nice to me at the start.
3: No problem.
0: <laughs> Courtney Smith, thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Bye.
0: Now, that's episode one in the can. That's the hardest part over, isn't that what they say? It is. It is what they say. Mammies all across the globe say that. They say, as soon as you have your first podcast done, it it only gets easier from then on. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, enjoyed the chats, because I certainly did. I've missed having the chats with people. And that's the main reason I set up this podcast was to get back chatting to people. So let me know, rate it, review it, give it five stars if you want, give it one star if you want. Let me know, Um, tell me on Instagram if you've enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. And before I go, here's a little teaser of next week's episode. You've always been the relatable person. Like there's never been any, I'm on the radio. I think that anybody who acts like that is dope. (laughs) <laughs> there's a few of them in Ireland ah, and there don't is. you deny it there is. I'll talk to you then stay safe and good luck <laughs>